<clears throat> nothing much happened in June with that memo, but in November of 1941, that became very important again as an issue. Harry Dexter White dusted off his old memo and resubmitted it, this time to Morgenthau, who sent it to the president and to Secretary of State Cordell Hall, once again with a very hard-edged idea of get out of China, Japan, or else. And of course, or, or else was the threat of war. The ultimatum. Sure. Yeah. And the issue at the time was from Marshall and Stark both writing uh, appealing memos to President Roosevelt trying to stall for time. Uh, there were two memos written, one in November, November 5th, and again on November 27th, stalling for time. The November 5th memo was a joint recommendation by Marshall and Stark to President Roosevelt, <laughs> no matter what else you do, don't submit an ultimatum to Japan. <laughs> Interestingly enough, that memo was sent to Admiral Kimmel. What was not sent to Admiral Kimmel was the fact that President Roosevelt ignored this primary advice from Marshall and Stark and went ahead and submitted an ultimatum to Japan via this American note, which has been styled by many as an ultimatum. And, of course, whether it was meant to be an ultimatum or not is not really the key point. We simply knew that the Japanese took it as an ultimatum, and worse than that, they considered it a humiliating proposal and by, by no means could it be used as a basis for further, in, uh, further negotiation and that now things were automatically going to happen. So mm -hmm. <laughs> Hull, who was in favor of the modest vivendi, which was the 90-day cooling-off period, and obviously Marshall and Stark were too because they knew perfectly well that the armed forces worldwide were in no shape to conduct a war against Japan at that time. Uh, Hull acceded to uh, Morgenthau, and obviously uh, President Roosevelt made the final call, and they went with a hard line, get out of China or else. And the Japanese weren't about to live with that. So that's how the, the run-up came and how it became so important that... Uh, the Soviets and Harry Dexter White were part of that run-up. And there's yeah. been much written to uh, verify that, including a Soviet trade magazine, <laughs> which explained Vitaly Pavlov's mission <laughs> to get Harry Dexter White to prevail upon uh, American foreign policy to ensure that the Japanese attacked territories to the south of the Dutch, the British, and not attack, not attack the Soviets uh, to the north in a pincer movement between Hitler and Japan. That would have been a disaster for Stalin. So they succeeded in one of what has to be one of the most successful uh, spy operations of all time. <coughs> now I'm ready to go to... Yeah, let's uh, go to Admiral Park now. Go ahead. All right. We have recently learned, when I say recently... 
It's 2016 we learned this. Actually, I learned it and uh, reported it, and it's now been uh, uh, given life in uh, Anthony Summers and Robert Swan's uh, 2016 book, Mm -hmm. A Matter of Honor, which I still recommend as the number one book, best book ever written about the Pearl Harbor attack and Admiral Kimmel. There's no question about that. It's the number one book I, I recommend to your listenership uh, without hesitation. And here's a matter the of honor, I agree with you fully, yeah. A matter of honor, uh, Anthony Summers and uh, Robin Swan, uh, Irish couple. At any rate, back to uh, Admiral Stark and his patent palpable lie to the Naval Court of Inquiry. Uh, the story I've given you before, but I guess I'd better give a little bit of it now, uh, Admiral Stark had seven naval aides. Now, there was a pejorative at the time because Admiral Stark had a shock of white hair. The pejorative was this was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That would be Admiral Stark and his seven naval aides. Uh, I've gone over this rather often repeated story about how President Roosevelt, the night before Pearl Harbor, read a secret communication from the enemy, declared this means war, and investigators trying desperately to find out would it be possible for the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, to read a secret communication from the enemy, declare this means war, and for him not to reach out to the head of his army and the head of his navy immediately uh, to discuss that matter. For him not to do that, after declaring this means war, after reading this communication from the uh, enemy, would be a patent uh, dereliction of duty on his part. So investigators attempted to find out where was the head of the Army and where was the head of the Navy Saturday night when the President of the United States was reading this secret communication. In General Marshall's case, he couldn't remember at all. I'm going to leave General Marshall out of this for the present time because we're now talking uh, Admiral Stark. They asked Admiral Stark under oath where he was Saturday night when his only boss was reading his secret communication declaring this means war, and he said he couldn't remember. They asked him that several times under oath, and he always said he couldn't remember. Well, one of those seven naval aides, uh, Captain Harold Crick, reminded Stark that the Admiral was with him and their wives Saturday night, December 6th, the night before the attack, They went to the National Theater in Washington, D.C. They saw a performance of The Student Prince. After the performance, they retired to Admiral Stark's quarters. When they walked in, the houseboy turned to Admiral Stark and said, the President of the United States has called you and wanted you to call back. Admiral Stark excused himself, went to his library, came back a short time later, and said he was discussing the critical situation in the Pacific with the President of the United States. This was later confirmed by Harold Crick's wife uh, many years later. Crick went to the Joint Congressional Committee, gave that testimony. Joint Congressional Committee had to reconvene. They had shut down before this. Crick gave his testimony. Stark got up on the stand again, was asked a question again, where were you Saturday night? And Stark said, Crick's attempt to uh, jog my memory notwithstanding. I still don't remember where I was that evening. Okay. <laughs> that that prompted uh, uh, 
Congressman Gerhardt from California to ask Stark, Admiral Stark, could you have been with General Marshall? Because he can't remember where he was either Saturday night before the Pearl Harbor attack. Okay, it's pretty clear to me, with only the slightest reasonable doubt that these two men are not lying over that issue, now we come to the palpable lie. Another aide of Admiral Stark, one of those seven aides, was Admiral Smedberg. William Smedberg, at the time, lieutenant commander, maybe a lieutenant. At any rate, one of Smedberg's jobs was to record every phone call that Admiral Stark made from his office phone. And in 1981, Smedberg came forward with a reminiscence in which he described that in 1941, he recorded virtually every conversation the Admiral had on his telephone. The reason they did this is because President <clears throat> Roosevelt would bypass the Secretary of the Navy, call up Admiral Stark, and in rapid-fire succession, tell Stark to do this, that, and the other thing, and Stark would say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, and then they'd go back and review the recording to make sure that they did everything that the president had told them to do. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. of course, unfortunately, Smedberg later destroyed all of these recordings. He goes on to report that he did all this at the orchestration of Admiral Stark. It was Stark's idea, and Stark would from time to time tell him to destroy non-pertinent conversations. At any rate, with that background, I give you the Naval Court of Inquiry's interrogation of Admiral Stark in 1944. Question number 388 by the Naval Court of Inquiry to Admiral Stark. Admiral Stark was extensively interrogated by the Naval Court of Inquiry. The question to Admiral Stark. Admiral Stark, did you ever keep any record of your conversations with the President during the year 1941. Admiral Stark's immediate answer was, no, I did not. Tough to imagine a stronger case for perjury than that. Mm -hmm. There are four points to be made here. Admiral Hewitt, who conducted another Pearl Harbor investigation, asked Smedberg the pervasive question, have you anything further to add to this inquiry, Captain Smedberg? And Smedberg responded, no, sir. Of course, he was not going to reveal the fact, the very pertinent fact, that he had recorded every conversation that Stark had on the telephone. Right. Second uh, point to be made here is that Smedberg took a special oath to maintain the security of the information developed during the Hewitt investigation. Third point, Stark was asked by the Naval Court of Inquiry whether Smedberg acted in an advisory, administrative, or in what capacity. Stark replied Smedberg acted largely in the capacity of a regular flag lieutenant's duties. Of course, no mention of the fact that he had recorded every conversation that Stark had in 1941. Virtually everyone is the way Smedberg put it in his reminiscence. 
And the final point to be made is that at the Naval Court of Inquiry, Admiral Stark introduced Smedberg as an additional counsel, thereby making it rather difficult for Smedberg to suddenly uh, testify against Admiral Stark, which, of course, he did not do. Okay, there's more on Smedberg, and it's certainly uh, worth a look. <clears throat> Admiral Smedberg gave an oral history interview, uh, 1970s. Mm -hmm. A little bit of background on that. It's a very important, and probably this is the newest piece of information that I've been able to come up with. But right. a little bit of background is required. And here's the background. Secretary of the Navy, Frank Knox, after the Pearl yeah. Harbor attack, immediately went to Pearl Harbor and conducted the first of the nine investigations that were conducted in Admiral Kimmel's lifetime. This was on December 9th, 1941. The first question he asked Admiral Kimmel was, did you receive my message on Saturday night? And, of course, Kimmel said, no, what message are you talking about? Knox asked several other officers at Hawaii the same question and, of course, got the same answer. He asked General Short that question and, of course, got the same answer. So the question is, what in the world are you talking about, a message on Saturday night? knowing full well that the only message that came to Hawaii arrived after the Pearl Harbor attack, the famous alert from George Marshall that didn't arrive until after the Pearl Harbor attack on December yeah. 7, 1941. Yeah. All right, the next little piece of information that's important here is that on December 7, 1941, at 9 a.m. Hawaii time, Colonel Walter Phillips, General Short's chief of staff, telephonically reported the events of the attack to General Marshall on the telephone. Marshall, or the conversation was reconstructed uh, by uh, Walter Phillips. <clears throat> and the reconstruction went, as, went thus. Marshall. Did you get my message I sent you Saturday night? Phillips. No. What message? Marshall. A radio I sent you last night. Now, for some reason, no one seems to have hopped on that as a, uh, a point to be settled. And I can't quite figure out why. Very recently, only six or seven months ago, I found out about an oral history project where Admiral Smedberg <laughs> was being... All right, we'll hold that point, okay? We'll take the break and come right back to Smedberg and Stark and the rest of the cover-up, folks, with Thomas K. Kimmel, eldest living grandson of Admiral Kimmel at Pearl Harbor. We'll be right back. Rick Adams, Uncensored. Is your property a financial burden and causing you grief? Have you tried to sell but can't find buyers? Or are you just too busy to sell your property? 
Don't worry. We have the right solution for you. We buy properties as is, with cash, close in 30 days, and pay all closing costs. Our service is ideal for property owners who are in pre-foreclosure, have high-end repair costs, experiencing financial hardship, going through costly divorces, are relocating, need cash for retirement, suffering family loss, or have tax liens. Whatever your situation may be, we can help you sell your property and get the money you need. If you own a single-family home or multiple-family units, call us for a free consultation at 888-910-1037. That's 888-910-1037. Or visit our website at cashingproperty.com. That's cashingproperty.com. Sell your property fast and leave all your worries behind. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Please call 855-253-3748. 855-2-KEEP-IT-TODAY. Extendivite 7 Herb Formulation is approved to help maintain cardiovascular health and help lower blood lipid levels in adults. Extendivite is made from hawthorn, garlic, valerian, cayenne, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, and milk thistle. The herbs at Extendivite have been chosen for their ability to help with overall health. Many people have reported improved energy and stamina in just a few months. If you think you could feel just a little bit better, then Extendivite may just be for you. Extendivite is an all-natural supplement. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. All right, folks, uh, just a reminder that uh, we have our new, uh, on our YouTube channel, Rick Adams Uncensored, The Deadly Experiment, another new program on that you can obviously take advantage of and just log in to YouTube uh, and The Deadly Experiment with Rick Adams and uh, Andrew Carrington Hitchcock also online this week with a new host of guests, okay, andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com. I just wanted to make those uh, those notations for you. Now, let's get back to you, Tom, and continue to wend our way into this story. Mind you now, George Marshall was a man that was noted for his photographic memory and his genius. I guess going back to that interview in Reader's Digest. So now he has a lot of trouble remembering where he was the night before Pearl Harbor 
And Admiral Stark uh, apparently figures into this quite prominently, from what you say. Yeah, well, not only did Marshall uh, not uh, remember where he was the night before Pearl Harbor, he had no independent recollection of what he was doing Sunday morning prior to Pearl Harbor. And investigators, frustrated beyond words, finally asked Marshall, well, where were you when uh, you actually got the word that Pearl Harbor was under attack? And he replied, he didn't know where he was even then. Did he say he was too drunk or something of that sort? <laughs> he just said he didn't remember, and he might be the only person uh, of uh, majority at that uh, time in 1941 who did not remember where he was when he heard that Pearl Harbor was under attack. And, of well, course, I, uh, I wasn't born yet, so I can't uh, be identified with that number. But let me finish with uh, Saturday night. Secretary of the Navy is asking Kimmel, if he got uh, Secretary of the Navy's uh, uh, message on Saturday night, Kimmel says no. Uh, the Chief of Staff of uh, General Short is told by Marshall, uh, or asked by Marshall, if he got his radio that Marshall sent to him on Saturday night. Well, there it stood until very recently when I happened to read the oral history of Admiral Smedberg at the time, one of Admiral Stark's naval aides. Admiral Smedberg is reporting to his interviewer, uh, Dr. John Mason, in an oral history project. Smedberg says, Stark and Marshall agreed that some message should be sent to Kimmel and Short, and the Army agreed to send it. But it never got out there until after hostilities, after the attack. So there's only one message they could possibly be talking about, and that was the message that Marshall sent that got there after the attack. And then Smedberg threw this zinger in, and yet it was the day before that that message was to go. Well, that certainly got my attention, but unfortunately did not get the attention of the interviewer, Dr. John Mason, and there was no follow-up to that particular piece of information, which, uh, once again, is about the latest thing that I know of concerning the Pearl Harbor attack. <laughs> but getting to the international situation, which I think you may uh, find of particular interest, uh, Churchill is entering the picture mm -hmm. under the theory of backdoor to war. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've always thought that uh, there should be more attention paid to the backdoor to war theory, and I've actually made a presentation on it. But here is the new information concerning that. And once again, this is information that was not available to Admiral Kimmel at the time. This is a purple magic. This particular piece of purple magic was withheld from the Joint Congressional Committee and was not available until 1978 when they published The Magic Background of Pearl Harbor, Volume 3, Appendix, at A400. 
It was a magic intercept from Berlin, the Japanese ambassador to Berlin, Baron Oshima, back to Tokyo. August 14th, 1941. It reads, on the 9th, when I called on DEI to discuss some other matter, DEI said that he had been at the general headquarters until the previous day and that when the question of the United States came up in the course of a conversation, Hitler had said that if a clash occurs by any chance between Japan and the United States, Germany will at once open war against the United States. In view of the fact that my meeting with Dai was not a prearranged one, I don't believe this conversation was premeditated. This was translated by the United States on August 15, 1941, but it was withheld from the Joint Congressional Committee. Obviously, Kimmel didn't know about it because it wasn't made public until 1978. Right. Interesting. Okay. Go take that break. Uh, you can come back to that, Tom, and continue on the story. So uh, obviously we get a bigger picture now of the, uh, really, of the journey of lies and deceptions, folks. Cover up incredible. Rick Adams on You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Tired of being lied to by mass media? It's growing more and more apparent today that news is received less and less through standard media outlets. Even with a growing audience every day, RBN is beginning to direct more efforts into social media. Social media and the use of the Internet is fast becoming the primary source of people for news, regardless of demographic. RBN has set out to provide some of the best news on the Internet through republicbroadcasting.org and also has begun to use the tools to our advantage by way of social media. Republic Broadcasting is now operating a Facebook page to function as yet another avenue to have our collective voice reach new audiences across not only America, but across the globe as well. The Facebook page features not only news, but also an RBN player to listen to our broadcast. Get involved by visiting Facebook.com slash Republic Broadcasting and liking our page and share it with your friends and family because you can handle the truth. Many people write about their experience with Extendivite. Allow me to read you a few from Amazon.com. 
My wife and I both use Extendivite and are very pleased with the results. It has helped to stabilize our blood pressure and to make both of us feel healthier. Good product and goodbye. So far, so good. I've been taking Extendivite three times a day, only a short while now, but already I've noticed the circulation in my hands and feet improving. They tingle. I like the idea of taking something herbal rather than pills. I take Extendivite three times a day every day. I think this supplement has helped with my increased fitness regime and to lower my blood pressure. Tell us your story. Get Extendivite today. Call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Rick Adams is back. Radio Avenger, the Paul Revere of talk radio. All right, we're back now. We're going to give the floor to Tom again. Tom, please continue. <laughs> we're talking about the uh, re- revisiting the backdoor to war scenario. And Indeed. I had discussed this magic intercept uh, translated on August 15, 1941, which was not made available to the Joint Congressional Committee and obviously not made available to Admiral Kimmel. They talk about Baron Oshima, the ambassador of Japan to uh, Germany in Berlin, reporting back to his boss in Tokyo. And what Hitler has to say if uh, Japan and the United States suddenly uh, uh, go to war, that Germany will at once jump in. And they attribute it to this guy named Dai in the Purple Magic, D-E-I. Well, Dai is Joseph Sepp Dietrich, Hitler's driver and a general in the Waffen-SS. At any rate, that magic, U.S. magic intercept and decode sets up a much more interesting magic of the same type of information, but this is British magic, known as a black jumbo. In that magic intercept, of course, this was unknown to any Pearl Harbor investigation. It is British magic and contains the annotations of Winston Churchill in red, and Stuart Menzies, the head of MI6 in green. It says, when seeing Dietrich on the 9th on other business, he told me he had been at GHQ until the previous day and had just returned to Berlin. While talking about the question of America, he said that Hitler had declared that in the event of a collision between Japan and the United States, Germany open hostilities with America. Well, that's interesting enough, but this was only declassified uh, way after Admiral Kimmel deceased and only came to my attention no, about a year ago. The interesting thing are the annotations on that magic by Churchill and by the head of MI6. The annotation from Churchill reads, in view of the fact that the Americans themselves gave us the key to the Japanese messages, it seems probable that President Roosevelt knows this already. 
But anyhow, it is very desirable. He did know it. Propose me action, please, MI6. In green, MI6 Stuart Menzies comes back with his own annotation and says the Americans have had this magic message, period. Now, this certainly prompts a question. Why would Churchill think it's so important that President Roosevelt know of this information? Well, the idea was to go to war against Germany, go to war against Japan, and by goodness, this is clearly a way we can go to war against Germany through the back door. And there are several other indications that the back door was the way to proceed. And quite curiously, the whole idea of back door to war, to my knowledge, comes not from the United States or from the U.K., at least not in writing. In writing, it comes from the Japanese themselves, specifically from Ambassador Nomura in Washington, D.C., reporting back to Prime Minister Toyota in Tokyo in yet another magic intercept, this one on August 16th, 1941. Nomura is saying, I, Nomura, understand that the British believe that if they could only have a Japanese-American war started at the back door, there would be a good prospect of getting the United States to participate in the European war. So, if we are uh, wondering why we got involved with a war in Japan, if the real goal was to go to war with Germany, why we are taking such a risk, clearly President Roosevelt is getting many reassurances uh, through magic that if Japan is involved in the war with the United States, Germany will join. And that's the goal, to get the war with Germany. And so Stalin, that, by the way, yeah, I mean, they had also had Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of uh, the Soviet Union by Germany, too. And that played heavily into this, because Stalin was going to suffer am am amazing losses as a result. You know, I know that Stalin and Russia continued to have diplomatic relations with Japan during the whole war. But as a result of this, they prevailed upon Churchill and then Roosevelt to do something to divert attention away from this invasion uh, by Germany into Russia. Uh, well, of course, that was in June of uh, 19... That was in uh, June, uh, right, exactly, of 1941, right? And so six months later, or less than six months, Later, you uh, suddenly had Pearl Harbor. Well, the, the great difficulty is why in the world did uh, Hitler, four days after Pearl Harbor, declare war against the United States? Um, and many have wondered uh, what a gamble it was to get involved with the war in Japan when Hitler was not obligated to join the war. Under the tripartite agreement, there was no obligation for Germany to join the war if Japan attacked the United States. Only yeah, if, yeah. You, if the United States attacked Japan was Germany obligated. So why did uh, we proceed with such a hard line against Japan? 
Well, mainly, or at least a, a, a few reasons, is because we had great intelligence, great reliable intelligence, that if we did get into this war with Japan, Germany was going to follow. And the goal was to get into the war against Germany. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, that seems pretty clear. I don't know how it could be too much clearer. Uh, we even have <clears throat> uh, Wild Bill Donovan, the coordinator of information, uh, providing FDR on November 13th with information from his spy, the uh, German ambassador to the United States, Hans Thompson, who uh, in substance... Uh, <clears throat> on November 6th, told Donovan's agent, uh, Malcolm Lovell, that if Japan goes to war with the United States, Germany will immediately follow suit. So not only is Roosevelt getting this information from magic, he's getting it from their spy in Washington, D.C., none other than the German ambassador to the United States, Han Thompson. (laughs) Also, there was a a book uh, compendium on the back door to war, the Roosevelt Foreign Policy, 1933-41. I'm sure you're familiar with that uh, production, that book. I am. It's an excellent book, but it's it's so dated. Uh, This information is new. This information was not available to that author. Right, but the point is that at the time that this was uh, a novel approach, uh, pardon the pun, but it certainly was earth-shattering during those very years, 1933 to 41, the documentation that uh, they've had at their uh, disposal already had uh, brought forth this uh, fact that the foreign policy of uh, Roosevelt was a war foreign policy. Domestically, of course, it was a socialist foreign policy. Okay. Anyway, that's that. Continue. <laughs> well, you wanted me to leave you a couple minutes here before we uh, adjourned here, uh, yeah, but I can tell you about I can tell you about Kilsu Han's attempt to warn of the Pearl Harbor attack. Uh, that information is coming into focus now. Uh, that may take me a few a few minutes though. Well, you can summarize it or just try to truncate it a little bit so we can make the point um, and then we well, can move Kilsu on. Well, Han, uh, on January 8, 1941, the day after Admiral Yamamoto wrote his letter recommending a strike on Pearl Harbor, a Korean-born emigre, Kilsu Han, wrote a letter to President Roosevelt. His letter was motivated by a Japanese book suggesting that during peace talks with the United States, Japan intended to carry out a surprise attack upon Pearl Harbor. Attempts to find that letter have failed. We have not been able to find that letter. But we have found other indications that, indeed, that letter was sent. Kilsu uh, Han had made other uh, representations, mainly to Martin Dye as the chairman of the House Un-American Activities. Yes. But Secretary of State Cordell Hull told Dye's not to make public the information that Hahn had supplied. According to Senator Guy Gillette uh, from Iowa, as I recall, uh, uh, citing, uh, uh, this comes from his nephew Thomas, That was not the end of the story. 
There's much in between here that I don't have time to relate. But in November, Han made contact again to warn that the Japanese warships had left port under battle orders to attack Pearl Harbor or the Panama Canal. Senator Gillette had been sufficiently concerned, he told his nephew, to make an appointment to see President Roosevelt. Roosevelt told the senator the matter would be followed up. And that's the end of it. Kilsu Han's papers are housed at Stanford University, and there is an excellent thorough description of this Kilsu Han matter in, you guessed it, A Matter of Honor by Anthony Summers and Robert Swan. Uh, indeed, there's a chapter devoted to it. I highly recommend uh, your listeners take a look at that chapter. By the way, you mentioned uh, Martin Dyes earlier, and I had read of him years ago. But if my memory serves correctly, he also had been targeted by the IRS under Roosevelt for some sort of tax evasion because he was becoming very effective in investigating the, um, you know, the uh, infiltration by uh, uh, the communists in the 1940s and 50s under Roosevelt, Truman, and Eisenhower's administration. If, if I'm correct, he had he had been targeted by the Roosevelt administration early on, you know, in the 1940s. Yeah, imagine what he could have done if he'd had the information available in Venona. But, of course, that was not oh, available. Well, yeah, imagine uh, going back then if we had uh, the kind of, uh, you know, Internet service of the digital media that we have today. Uh, going back then, how... Uh, these things could have been exploded and avoided and exposed uh, for the world to see the conniving and the treasonous uh, activity behind the scenes between uh, Churchill, Roosevelt, Stalin, and so on and so forth, how they were maneuvering to uh, set up, uh, you know, your grandfather and, uh, of course, uh, General Short at Pearl Harbor, to take the rap, even though they knew darn right well they were intent on starting that uh, involvement in World War II. If we had that then, it wouldn't have been all of this. But then again, that's uh, <laughs> I guess that's water under the bridge. Pardon the pun. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I also want, I'm sorry, I, I also want you to give our listeners the opportunity to contact your site, to go to your website on uh, 9-11 Pearl Harbor attacks before we leave the idea, uh, the program today. So why don't you give that out now, Tom? Okay, well, my website is pretty easy to find. Uh, it's www.pearlharbor911attacks.com. And uh, if you forget all that, just uh, Google my name and it'll it'll get you there. Right, okay. Now continue to uh, sum up here what you were saying. All right, well, I, let me sum up with this. This is the way I sum up now uh, it, with my presentations because it comes from uh, no one less than the current director of naval history, Admiral Sam Cox. <laughs> In 2016, on the 75th anniversary of the Pearl Harbor attack, he delivered a Pearl Harbor Day message and he sent it to every admiral in the United States Navy. Uh, it's on my website in its entirety, but the pertinent part is as follows. Many senior military and government officials in Washington, D.C. were far more culpable of the failures that led to surprise at Pearl Harbor than Kimmel was. 
you can bet that I uh, spread that around every opportunity I get, and that includes the petition uh, that I submitted in 2017 to the Board for Correction of Naval Records. Now, the goal still remains the same, though, is to get the advancement on the retirements list for both of these gentlemen, right? Well, that's a secondary goal. The primary goal is to keep pounding away at the facts and finding new facts in the Pearl Harbor story. I am about uh, uh, continuing uh, what my grandfather uh, tried to do for the remainder of his long life. He was 86 years old when he deceased, and he... uh, famously, to my thinking, said the only thing that kept him alive was uh, his uh, quest to make the true facts, the full facts of the Pearl Harbor story available to the American public. My dad and you my uncle, that. Sure, uh, my sure. dad and my uncle also dedicated their long lives after they retired. My dad was a uh, career naval officer, captain in the Navy, and uh, my uncle was a, a, a lawyer for DuPont. My lawyer was even more heavily involved in this than uh, my, my father, if that can be believed. And I'm really splitting hairs there. But they spent the last uh, uh, 20, 25 years of their lives uh, virtually full-time uh, working on this uh, Admiral Kimmel matter, uh, just as I have and just as my cousin has, Manning Kimmel. Manning yeah. Kimmel... Uh, uh, has been very uh, 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 prominent, uh, working hand-in-glove with me on this. He uh, uh, really handles the political end of these things because he owns several radio stations in uh, South yep. Carolina. And, of yep. course, the politicians all come through uh, his radio stations as they, as they uh, um, um, make their pitch to be elected. And one of the more famous encounters was with Vice President Joe Biden, when he was running for vice president, he came by uh, and uh, uh, he told my cousin that the Admiral Kimmel matter was the most tragic injustice in American military history. And we certainly throw that quote around all the time. Uh, we remind him of it uh, even today. Uh, we were very disappointed that he was unable or for some reason, did not try to prevail upon President Obama to attempt the same action that President Obama did take uh, in the General John Lavelle matter. Uh, We still don't quite understand that because the uh, primary sponsor, not a sponsor, but the primary sponsor of the legislation in 2000 uh, that uh, that the Congress recommended that the president in perpetuity, whoever the president would be, whoever he or she might be in the future, take this action to advance Kimmel and Short posthumously on the retired list. The primary sponsor of that was Joe Biden, and yet uh, we were unable, even though we had our man in the White House, the vice president, we still couldn't get that done. Uh, we well, actually he says when the, he becomes president, he will oblige you that. How is that? <laughs> I don't know. He hasn't said that. But I mean... <laughs> Why, why not? The Congress has made the recommendation already, so it's not a matter of convincing. Right. But here's hey, here's how you can really help uh, the Senate Armed Services Committee. If uh, uh, President Trump ever does take this action and nominate Kimmel and Short, it has to be approved by the Senate Armed Services Committee. And guess who's the ranking member of the Senate Armed Services Committee? 
Unfortunately, none other I know. than Rhode Island's Jack Reed. I know he it is too well. He is a ranking member uh, right now. Uh, I have no idea. You know, Reed is a, uh, is a typical politician. He's uh, certainly a flag waver and his finger up to the wind. On something like this, he may be prone to support it, as long as it doesn't cost him too much political capital. So uh, that's something that I would address to him. I have in the past, but have not heard back. Um, I, I will pursue it, and uh, you will pursue it on this committee, should this matter come up. I hope up. your listeners I, pursue it. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Yeah, the Senate, uh, again, the Armed Services Committee is the ranking member, and uh, that's important that uh, I think it's important not just because it's Pearl Harbor or it's your family, obviously. It's important because all the way through this Pearl Harbor saga is this military, you know, industrial, media, political complex that has no check. It has absolutely no oversight. And it's important that people understand the reason why we've had endless wars since World War One is because of this invisible hand, so to speak. And that's why it's important to get the word out and uh, make our younger generation aware of this trail of deception. And uh, I, I wish we had three programs a week to give you, Tom. You are such a wealth of knowledge, and you're speaking well, and you sound, I must say, better this year than you have in the past in your presentation. And I want to congratulate you for that, for bringing us up to date. And when we get this up on the archives, I'll make sure you get a link to it, all right? Hey, that's very important. That was the last thing I wanted to leave with you. I definitely want you that link because I'll put it on my website. Amen. Thanks you again, uh, Tom Kimball, for being with me. And I, I mean it. It was a great, uh, great uh, uncovering today. And uh, just another addition to the whole story. People can see more of the story when they go on your site. Thanks again, brother, and you take care. As always, thanks for the opportunity. Always, always. We'll do it again. Thank Good. you. All right, folks. Well, hey, that Tom Kimmel, uh, he and I met a number of years ago in Washington, D.C., at a conference of the Barnes Review American Free Press. And uh, as I say, he speaks on many subjects, many topics relevant to uh, the FBI and corruption and uh, going back to uh, the the Venona intercepts and so forth. So, uh, you know, he's quite a wealth of knowledge. We don't have too many more people like that with us today, and he's up in his years. As you know, if you look on uh, YouTube, you will see uh, some of the interviews, the documentaries that I have done with him, with Thomas Kimmel. Uh, folks, we don't have much time, but, um, you know, you're certainly welcome to uh, write to me at uh, rick458 at cox.net. And uh, just looking uh, again at uh, the segment that we usually conclude with, watching Jerusalem, it's important knowing that Australia now has uh, made a decision through its prime minister to recognize West Jerusalem as Israel's capital. So, folks, these are prophetic times, incredibly prophetic, when you realize what Scripture says about the, the siege of Jerusalem by those who call themselves Judah and do lie. It's very important, folks. They're facing another election. Netanyahu has his uh, opponents, of course. Um, one's as bad as the other, but uh, they're having a, a real field day. They're fighting each other right now, as the Bible does say. 
and he will make Jerusalem a curse, a burden, a burden stone in Zechariah 12.3 to the world. So, folks, it is the time of the end. We're living in those days. It's very important that we watch Jerusalem and watch world events, watch the global economic debt. It's a bubble that is ready to burst, and it is no accident when it happens. Remember these things. That's what I, I tell my audience, because you are probably the most informed audience anywhere in talk radio land. We, we may be very small on the map, but you know what? We do get out there, and I know that we attract the attention of uh, the powers that be, because they certainly listen, and they know what we're up to. So, folks, that's the message now. You know, all of the nations of the world are in turmoil over the city of Jerusalem, and it was Mr. Trump whom they used, okay, Forrest Trump, as they call him, uh, to uh, basically lead the way where no other president before him could get away with it. Not even George Herbert Walker Bush, who on a couple of occasions ruffled the feathers of his Zionist uh, cohorts. But, uh, of course, he was still in league with them and in league with the devil. So, folks, we're just about out of time. And if you want to make a quick call, you have something pertinent to say to the program we've just done, you may because you only have a minute. 800-313-9443 is the number. And uh, as I say, from week to week, you know, we're very cautious now. Uh, we don't know what could happen just hours from now or tomorrow. Watch world events. Watch the economy. Particularly, we are definitely in a position now to see a major economic debacle. Get your money into safe assets, folks. All right, we're out of time. You hear the music. God willing, we'll be back again next Saturday at the same time for another fascinating program. Lots to talk about, lots of guests. Rick Adams, your host and producer, thanking you and saying may Yahweh bless his elect. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Please call 855-253-3748. 855, the number 2, keep it today.